I wanted to talk today about, this is like a topical uh, sermon on, on the Holy Spirit, and it, like, where is the kingdom of God in this? And I, I just want to say this, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, creation, creative ability is released. The, you know, the Father, you know, uh, created all things, and it's like this total mystery, okay? And the Son was eternally begotten from the Father, and, you know, he, and he, the Father created, the, he delegated creation to the Son who spoke everything into existence, but the, the, the active agent in creation was the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, the Lord created, the, God created the heavens and earth, and there was darkness. Uh, everything was a big mess. It was the earth was without form and void, and there was darkness over the face of the deep, which is a very interesting topic for another time. But, but then the Holy Spirit shows up hovering, and that, that's the beginning of the creative process. There's the preparation, and then the word of the Lord comes, let there be light, and there was light. And that's the basis you know, from which everything else is created by the word, it was brought into order. What was in disorder was brought into order. So I just wanna say, we're in this season. You can look around us and say, well, there's darkness over the face of the deep. You know, it's tohu and bohu. People don't know reality. They don't know if two plus two is four. They don't know if they're a boy or a girl. They don't know these things. And, and, it, and truth is being challenged by a demonic lie and mindset that's been very popular and has infected not just our culture, but, but a lot of the worldwide culture. And the Lord is hovering over that and ready to, to pour his spirit out on all flesh, that those who sat in darkness will see a great light. Not just one time, of course, that, it was, the be that was because of Jesus you know, we can have expectation of this occurring cyclically throughout history, but it's all going to an end point where, you know, the return of the Lord, which is our blessed hope, you know, that we're actually, you know, of course we want to do our part and live in our generation and nobody knows the day or hour, so we're going for it like it's going to be 500 years, but won't that be awesome to hear the trumpet? <laughs> Amen. Okay. So, um, so here we, you know, last Sunday, and I, I talked about it, that, you know, Chandi preached on the river and, and the depths of the river where, where following the Lord into the Holy Spirit, it's like this is what, what is being described in Ezekiel 47, that this river gets bigger and bigger, becomes rivers to swim in, not only describes the experience of an individual, but it's, it's kind of like a microcosm picture of the new creation. You know, the water flows toward the Dead Sea. You know, God, the Holy Spirit's always attracted to the darkest, deadest places. You know, that's the flow is from heaven into the mess to change it and bring it into order and fruitfulness. And the, and the, the miracle occurs that the Dead Sea, become, the waters become fresh. Healed is the Hebrew word. They're healed, and now there's an abundance of fish, and there's trees growing, and it's, it's fruit, and it's healing of the nations. Hallelujah. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, the season that we're in, it's an, always an invitation into what Jesus called abundant life. But I want to say this with, 
with the, um, whenever the Holy Spirit's involved, whenever you have a direct encounter with God, what is actually there is something that maybe is better described by the word superabundance. Like, it's not like, oh, there's a lot. But there's an infinite amount. Like there's no end to his goodness. There's no end to the possibilities. That the reality of history is so I mean, we can look at all the mess and through the years that there's always been this war between light and darkness, but continually and even in our day, God, things have actually gotten better and better, not worse and worse, as the world population has grown. I know the, you know, the narrative of the, the poor polar bear on an iceberg. There were polar bears on icebergs in 1200 AD. There were there was global warming in 1300 AD to the point where there were vineyards in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada. You know, it's like, like the, the, the climate has always varied and it's not the end of the world. But there are people who want to take away your hope that teach you that it's the end of the world. There's too many people. We need to kill babies in the womb. We need to sterilize boys and girls by convincing them they're not boys and girls. And we need, because the devil is afraid of the glory of God in humanity. He actually, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know, various ideologies through the ages come up and we think it's something new, but it's not. It's the same old lie. Anyway, but the Holy Spirit is coming to saturate you and fill you with himself. You know, we, and he is the spirit of truth who will lead you and guide you into all truth. There were two words that um, I just kind of were on my heart as I was praying, waiting on the Lord. And one of the words I knew, and I think in due, you know, like there's a, in Luke 24, Jesus says, to his disciples, the resurrected Christ says, stay here, don't go out yet, stay here, even though I'm risen from the dead and nothing's impossible, I want you to stay here because you need to be clothed for your assignment in this new creation. You'll be clothed with power from on high, and, and the, the Greek word for that means that, that this, like this covering would come upon them, and it's where we get the English word in due, you know, which has an idea of being clothed with something, but specifically it has the connotation that it's a perfect fit. So when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's tailored to who you are. It's tailored to where you've been and where you're going, and he equips you with all that you need to fulfill your purpose in this life and beyond. <laughs> and the beyond is much bigger than the here. But we want, to do, we want to steward what we have here with courage and without this little tiny what's in it for me perspective that robs us of how God can use us. He wants to set us free from every kind of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. When you're, there's no fear stopping you, you're unstoppable. Just saying. I mean, you might get killed, but you don't even care because when you... <laughs> If they kill the body, they're just releasing you into a better world and you will still continue to minister from the cloud of witnesses and participate with Jesus in his intercession. This is my own personal view of like what we do after we, we die besides ride lions and play harps or whatever, you know, whatever our picture is, that we're actually engaged, 
There's a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Hebrews chapter 12, cheering us on, rooting for us, and, and probably participating in the intercession. And so throughout church history, there have been angels and saints who would, would appear and they would always be involved in intercession, pointing people to Jesus, pointing people, and they're rare. You know, it's not like the normal thing. It's not like it's a wonderful life, you know, that somebody, they're a novice angel, so they have to come down and help somebody so they can get their wings and a bell can ring. That's, that's like superstition. But the reality of saints and angels ministering around you are not superstition. Okay. We'll, we'll stop there. I better, this is not in my notes. <laughs> People are like, what is going on here? Anyway, but I'm just saying that there is so, like when God is pouring his spirit out, we want, all, we want it to be clothed in his power. The other word that came to me, which I actually, I'd heard it before, but I, I didn't, I thought, I don't know what that means exactly, is imbue. I-M-B-U-E, I believe is the right way to spell it. But imbue is like not the word you use all the time. Like, hey, you know, yeah, that's imbued with a lot of uh, whatever. And it, 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 so I looked it up, and it means to be saturated. And not just saturated with liquid, but saturated with an intangible quality that makes it amazing. Like, you might read a, a review of a Broadway musical that, that the critic really liked. They said, the whole production was imbued with a certain sense of lightness and purpose and that set it apart from the ordinary. But I want to tell you, God wants to imbue you, not with just, like, liquid love, which is great, but he wants to imbue you with light. He wants, to, he wants you to sparkle. He wants there to be something in your eyes, in your word, in your touch that's not from this world. So Holy Spirit, we need you to come and equip us to be ambassadors of Christ. That we would walk in new creation and be the forecast and prophecy of the age to come. God, we just pray this. We pray none of us would falter, fail, get discouraged, get depressed, or, or give up before we finish our race and that we would carry our baton to the end of our assignment with joy, with your presence, and with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, okay. Now, whenever God, you know, God invites us, you know, uh, Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts. And so thirst is the qualification. Jesus, John 7, if you're thirsty, come to me. Like, that's it? Just thirsty? How many know even dogs get thirsty? You know, on a hot day? I mean, you can be bad and get thirsty. How many know that, you know? And so just your craving for something more, like there's, I'm gonna die if I don't get something better, can bring you to God because his invitation is, don't go to the wrong place for your thirst, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and out of, you know, out of your belly will flow. All these promises come. God is inviting us into an abundant life and into superabundance. And so if you're thirsty, broke, weary, oppressed, stressed out, or anxious, come. That's your qualification. Your misery is actually God knocking on your heart. <laughs> My misery, <laughs> okay. So thank you, Jesus, we're gonna come. And so, uh, 
and what, what he's doing is he's trying to get a, his, I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing here, you know, I don't know if he's ever trying to do something because I think he can do whatever he wants, but, but it, you know, as if he were a human, his goal is to cause you to come to him, to cause us to come. Holy Spirit, fill me. He's, got, he's causing us to come because he's overflowing. And he'd like to put it all in the right places. And so it's a very interesting thing that we carry the image of God and the image of God is, is full of creativity, vision, and imagination, which is why we desire things we don't have. I mean, I mean the root of it is that we're designed so that we can only be fulfilled in communion with God you know, by participating in the divine nature. And so if we, if we don't believe there is a God, we will try to get other things to fill our lives that don't work. And thus we end up in the condition that many people find themselves in, in need of God. And so when Jesus came, he came to show us the way. Didn't he say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and you can't get to what you're looking for you can't come to the Father except through me. And the, th the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy all your dreams, all your family, all your relatives, everything you hope for, your country, any hope that you have for the world. He just wants to destroy it and destroy you while he's at it. But I've come to give you an overflowing life, super abundant. God, I'm declaring these things, not just... I'm just declaring them. Holy Spirit, would you come and release your healing, your revelation, your insight, your wisdom here even in this meeting. And so Jesus, when he began his public ministry, he prepared, uh, you know, maybe he prepared, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew 5, 6, 7. And it's there and literally, it, um, you know, Larry Peltier did this walk through the Bible class a, a month or so ago, and uh, it was amazing. And one of the things he said that he reminded me, probably I'd heard it before, but I'd forgotten it. At the end, he said, actually, everything in the New Testament is contained in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in seed form. And what the letters of Paul and all the, the epistles, they're kind of unpacking different parts, you know? And I just thought like, oh, no kidding, you know, this is why Jesus could say, the, you know, the kingdom of God is like seed being sown, you know? And so what he did in the Sermon on the Mount is he's sowing seed for future realities. Now, so he covers a lot of topics. You know, first of all, he, he tells everybody who thinks they're, they're total losers that they're blessed. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, you know? It just starts to, when he gets to chapter six, it, he's adjusting people's priorities, and he gets to the issue of why pe how people live their lives, how they see things, and, you know, of course, how many know that money is important? You have to have money, you know, it's pretty hard to pay rent without money or buy food without money, and there are systems where you don't need that, but you don't want to live under those systems, so money is like part of, an important part of life, and so he addresses it and tells them, you know, to not be greedy, all this stuff. He tells them that God is their source, chapter six, pray this way. But, and then he gets to verse 20, he says, um, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. And, uh, and why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. And he says, in other words, 
you're investing in a system that can fail you. So I want you to invest in something that will never fail you. And of course you need, you know, you need, but he's trying to redirect, like why are, and then he gets into this whole issue and he tells him you can't serve two masters. You're gonna be either a slave to God or a slave to the financial system of this world and all, all the spiritual realities behind that system of lack or you can be set free and be a slave of God. Hmm. And then, and then he just, so that's the context of Matthew 6.25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what, what you'll eat, drink, etc., or your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So there's something more in you than just the physical. These are important, but they're the physical. And he says, which of you, by being anxious, and actually three times in this whole little section of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells people, it's a command, don't worry. <laughs> he doesn't say be happy, but that comes later. But the, uh, and he tells them, look at the birds. Like, yeah, look at them. And, and he says, your heavenly father feeds them. You're worth much more than them. And then he, then he says, why are you anxious about your clothing? You know, yeah, my, you know, like, you know, I have, my clothes are old and all, all this stuff. And, the, and of course, clothing was very expensive to, to poor people in that day. And he says, consider the lilies. Like, think about it. These lilies, and he's talking about a wildflower. They're going to they're gonna bloom, they're going to be awesome, and then they're going to be gone. He says, if God can do that for a wildflower, just think what he wants to do for you. And so, so this is all to get them... It, to realize like, oh, we need to change our priorities, our, our, what we're looking for. And then he says, verse 32, for the Gentiles, and by Gentiles there, he's not just talking about people that aren't Jewish. He's using that as a term to describe people that don't know God, okay? So you might be a Gentile and know God. He's not talking about you. Okay, I'm a Gentile and I know God. So, okay, but for the Gentiles seek after all these things. It's what they're worried about. And it's what they're running after. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. What's the word? All. Oh. He, he knows it. He knows you have to. And so then he tells them, this is, okay, it's an issue of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, he's saying, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, and you'll seek his righteousness, a lot of your stuff, a lot of your issues will, will melt away. And he will provide all these things for you. They will all be added to you. The word all there is pretty indicative. But, and then, and then he says, and don't worry about tomorrow. Which doesn't sound like good advice. Like, wait a minute. You know, I used, when I was 16 or 17, there was a pop song, Sha Na Na Na, Live for Today, Don't Worry About Tomorrow. And it was part of the delusion of the late 60s, you know, and I was right in there, like, yeah, man, you know, peace and love. And, you know, just, uh, but it, he's not talking about being mindless. He's just saying, don't be anxious. So the, so, but we don't, what, what is the kingdom of God? Like, if I'm supposed to seek it, where is it? Where can I find it? So, again, this is a topical message, not an expository message. Romans 14, because Paul's letters and Peter's and John's, they unpack the Sermon on the Mount. And they do more than that. But 
John, Romans 14, Paul's dealing with these other issues, and it was about like people, can you do this, can you do that, can you play, can you play bridge, can a Christian play bridge, or do they have to play whist, you know, and what, if, what about poker, you know, could you... You know, it just, but I mean, the people are, get all hung up on stuff that maybe isn't that important. What's important is to do what God tells you. Okay, so for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking because there were a lot of the Jewish believers in Rome and the Gentile believers in Rome had completely different dietary and lifestyle <laughs> backgrounds, you know. And so he says, it, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not just these physical realities of life, which are important, but it's something much deeper. It's the underlying foundation of, a, of, a, of a, a, an abundant life. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if I'm supposed to seek the kingdom of God, where am I going to find the kingdom of God? I am going to seek the Holy Spirit. And so even earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught them how to pray. He said, pray this way, you know, Father in heaven, that's a revelation, our Father in heaven, which I can't unpack right now, but he said, may your name be sanctified. May it be revered and holy and understood. And people in awe would meditate on what it means that you're our father and what your name is, your revealed name of Yahweh. And now the name of Jesus, that's the name above every name. All that is there. But in the, the first thing he says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in earth as, or on earth as it is in heaven and so that's the first priority. And then it's like, and then daily bread is very important. And all these things have layers of, of application. But he says, I, so every day, if you pray this way, you're praying, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. I want your name to be revered and glorified and sanctified in my life and in the world around me. But so what the... I want the king, what do I want to come? I want righteousness, peace, and joy to come. At the same level it exists in heaven that it would exist in my life. That's wild. And so we think about righteousness, and you, you think, well, you know, being righteous means you keep your word, you pay your bills, you don't gossip behind people's back, you're, you're faithful to your commitments and covenants and agreements, and you're a good neighbor, uh, like Allstate, right? The, uh, sorry. <laughs> the, uh, but, but he's not talking about human righteousness. He's talking about the righteousness of God. Like, and Derek alluded to this. Did you mention this in the second Service. I don't know if you did or not. Okay, he doesn't know either, so that's good. We're in the same boat. But in communion, that I mean, that God gives us His righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's not. So I work. I don't have to work really hard to be righteous. I have to receive and obey and live in His righteousness. And this is amazing because the righteousness of God, by the way, the righteousness is primarily relational. It, it's loyal love. It's, it's, I keep my word. I honor you. I honor our commitments. I respond to you faithfully. This is the, the more significant 
meaning of righteousness. And we can hold righteousness in a forensic or a juridical sense that it would be in a court of law. Did you ever do anything wrong? You will never be righteous in that way. But God gives you his righteousness and you're covered. Like, well, ha, it's funny. The old me did a lot of things wrong. And then it all got erased. It got wiped away. The handwriting of accusation against me was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. I mean, this is wild. And even when John writes and he says, look, you know, I write these things that you wouldn't sin. But if you do, this is after you're born again, after you're a believer, after you've already been gifted with the righteousness of God, if you mess it up, then he is faithful and just. You, you confess your sin to him, and what does he do? He cleanses you from all unrighteousness, which means you're back at the righteousness of God. It's your standing. It's like you don't have to work to achieve it. It's been given to you as a gift. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And his righteousness is, he's so righteous that when you come to him, he gives you his righteousness as a gift. This is a very short summary of everything you will find in Romans chapter three. You know, that, that it's that through faith, through the redemption in Jesus Christ, by his blood, his righteousness has been put on you and it stays on you. He's committed to it. That's part of his righteousness. Like, that's messed up, isn't it? I mean, in terms of like, well, that's not fair. Nope, it's not fair, it's called the gospel. It's good news for people that mess up. Jesus. It's, <laughs> thank you. No, no, and so it's the righteousness of God. That's wild. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become, he became what I was so that I could become what he is. Like, this is what was so offensive about Christianity not the Jews were offended because he didn't play the part of the Messiah they were expecting and become the great king who, who beat up the Romans and put them in charge of the world. That will be at a later time, that he'll be the, <laughs> the king of all. <laughs> but, but the Romans were offended by him and the Greeks and all this because the, in ancient culture, this is why they turned the world upside down. In ancient culture, the rich and powerful were considered better than other people. And so they weren't, you know, mercy to the poor was not part of their program. They said, oh, the poor, they're just the poor. It's still this way in, in Hindu areas of India, you know, not... By the way, the church is growing quickly in India. It's growing in Iran. Uh, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. You might think like, well, gee, America's really not doing so well, but God is, is growing his church all over the world. Africa, is there's such an, a, a penetration of Africa with the gospel that it's predicted by like 2040 or something that, that it will exceed any other continent in terms of the number of Christians. So, this is real, like God is doing this, and he, 
What is it? It's people coming to him and he's giving the gift of righteousness. So what this tells me is, even though these may be countries or cultures where you think, man, there's so much confusion and darkness there, but when, the, when God moves into a culture, he begins to set things in order. The Holy Spirit brings order where there's chaos and destruction. Like it, it, laws change, governments change. Do you know that I, I, I spoke with this friend, mine, Dr. Clyde Rivers, he's, he's a, an ambassador at large, conferred by the United Nations. He was consulting with the king of Burundi or the president of Burundi, I don't know if it was king or president, but they were writing a new constitution and he asked him, Dr. Rivers is a, is a, a scholar of scripture, he says, I want you to help me write a constitution that reflects the laws of God in the, and so, so they did that. While Hillary Clinton was secretary of state for President Obama, she went as you know, the representative of the US government and threatened the king of Burundi that unless he accepted same-sex marriage and got rid of all this kind of biblical thinking that America would cut off however many million dollars a year it gives to Burundi. And you know what he said to her? He said, and I'm, I'm saying this, I'm not trying to slander her, I'm just repeating the story of a man I believe. He said, when, when the king or the president, whichever it was, said to her, we don't need money from the United States. We want the blessing of God. When, when he said that, her face contorted. And he said, whew, that was, yeah. You got that right. Anyway, but I'm just saying, it's like we need the righteousness of God in our lives and, and our nation needs the righteousness of God. So, you know, help us, Lord. So righteousness, peace, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. It's peace, it's the peace of God, which is beyond comprehension. So when you seek the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit imbues you, saturates you, this peace of God that makes no sense starts sparkling out of you. That in the worst disaster, you find yourself rejoicing. Like, this is crazy. This is like mental illness. No, this is grace. Like, like you could have this great disaster and you just end up singing. In, uh, around, um, in the late second century, I think AD 177 or something like that, Marcus Aurelius was uh, still the um, Roman emperor the last of the good emperors, they say, the last of the good Caesars. And, uh, and he was highly revered because not only was a mighty general, but he was a stoic philosopher. And so there's, you know, like his meditations are still in print to this day. You know, they've been translated out of Latin. And, you know, but periodically these Christians would really get under their skin because they were saying that they worshiped a God who wasn't a great conqueror like Julius Caesar or Augustus Caesar, who were both proclaimed to be gods, and Marcus Aurelius, who was seeing himself as a kind of God, even though as a Stoic he was an atheist. It doesn't make sense, but um, it doesn't have to. They're in charge, so just bow down and say Caesar is Lord. And they would be driven crazy by these Christians, not only by the fact that they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord, but they would say Jesus is Lord. Not only that they say, where are you from? I'm a Christian. What kind of, what, 
What nation are you part of? I'm a Christian. That would be their answer. It would drive them crazy. But they would teach that God became this peasant kind of guy that lived in a backwater town in a hillbilly district speaking his native language in hillbilly accents. And that he, not only that, but that he was such a loser, he you know, all his disciples left and he died as a slave. He died the death that was there to keep the slaves in line. You know why? I mean, the, the cross was devised as a terror instrument to keep the fabric of the culture built on this, this, you know, class division in place and God took the place of the lowest slave and died and destroyed the whole system, turned it upside down. This is what really drove him crazy. So in Lyon, which is now in France, but was then the capital of Gaul, um, the, the Christianity was like at a fervor there in Lyon, and, and it was one of those times where they just got really irritated and said, let's kill all the Christians. So that's the idea. It wasn't like all the time everywhere. It was in places, and it was really intense. And one of those Christians was a little slave girl, she was a teenage girl. Her name was Blondina, which means charming. And, uh, and Blondina was beloved, her, her owner. I don't get offended. This is just world history. Her owner also became a Christian. And, and she loved Blondina and treated her really well. And, and so her owner and Blondina, they all got rounded up. They were put in these dungeons. They are put in these cells that were the size of a... Of a dishwasher, you know, and some of them died of suffocation. They just stuffed them in there for days trying to get them to renounce Christ, and they wouldn't because they, they were new creation. They're like, we don't care. You can do whatever. So they did all these things. They beat them. They put them on hot seats that were like, like barbecue grills, you know, with burning embers under it. They'd, they'd strap them into these hot seats and for for hours, and if they didn't die, they'd put them back in the dungeon, they'd die a few days later, and that, this was the thing, and Blandina, it was really interesting, for some reason she got singled out, she was very slight, and they brought her out into the arena and tied her to a stake with her hands above her head, and, uh, and then they let the lions out, and the lions came out, and they just walked around her, they didn't touch her. And this is like, ah, and all the Christians are like, yes, you know. So then they, you know, they, they beat her more. And they said the more she suffered, the more radiant she was. And they, she, wouldn't, she didn't die. And finally, they, they tied her in this big net, and they got all these wild bulls out there, and they threw her out like a beach ball. And the bulls eventually succeeded in goring her to death. But all, the, all those who saw her said the more she suffered, the more she looked she, sh- she looked like she was going to a wedding, that her face was radiant. And they said, when we looked on her, we saw the one who was crucified. And it's just like, and so all this time has passed, centuries later, and Blandina is remembered in Christian history as making a significant contribution to the faith and the, the transformation of culture from the Roman system to a system that had mercy. It's interesting, Marcus Aurelius, here's one of his quotes, sounds like he could be a a modern, uh, postmodernist. Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. A construct. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. 
What's so amazing is we get righteousness of God, we get the peace of God that passes understanding, and we get joy that's beyond words and has no end. And so this joy can take us through whatever we face, whatever we're in, that he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, I will not fear what man can do to me. And this is the, the joy and the boldness of knowing him. But it's like what we, in order to do that, this isn't normal human behavior. This is Holy Spirit transformation. I want you to stand up and I just want to pray and release over you this, this glory. How many want more of the Holy Spirit in your life? <laughs> it's like, anybody want less? Like, no, I, I just, you know. Okay, you want more of the Holy Spirit. You don't even have to lift your hands high, but what I'd like you to do is I would like you to, to put your hands out like you're going to receive a gift because this is a gift that he will give to you again and again and again. How many know that when you get, you get thirsty at least once a day, right? Unless, unless there's something really wrong with you. You're, you're, you need this continual flow of light and life in and through your body. Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? Would you release the righteousness of God again and again and again? You're the spirit of truth. Would you lead us into all the truth? Not just enough to know about you, but that we would actually walk with you. We ask you to release righteousness, peace, and joy, and your glorious presence on everything we do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, I'm going to pray for you. You can be released. If you want healing or you just want prayer for more, you can come forward. May the peace of God that passes understanding be upon you. May the grace of God fill you and may the Holy Spirit empower and protect you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 God bless you.